Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. It's good to see you all this morning. I've had a rough morning. During uh, greeting time, I greeted three people I've met long ago as if they were newcomers. They've, they've, they've changed. They've grown up. And then I called, called someone else that I've known for over 10 years by his brother's name. So let's just pray right now. Seriously, I feel like the Lord has a word for us. And uh, I just felt the Lord on me all morning. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we're hungry for you. Lord, we've come to hear from you this morning. We've not come to listen to men speak. But Lord, we've come to hear your voice through men's voices. So Lord, I ask that you would anoint my vocal cords, anoint my tongue, anoint my mind, And anoint all of our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking the last few weeks about how God will often allow a personal crisis in order to position us for a national answer. Often God will allow a hardship in our life personally and we... We only see to the end of our own boundary lines, and we, we, you know, we're in this battle for our own, our own struggles, but in actuality, the battle we're fighting is going to have much wider ramifications than we ever realized, that God will often use the personal battle to create a national solution. And we looked at Samuel in that regards, how Samuel, uh, well, really his mama, You know, Hannah, it says that God closed her womb. It was the Lord who shut down her womb, kept her from having children. God frustrated a natural process because he was wanting to build intercession to clear some ground before conception so he could use the product of that intercession on a wider scale. And literally, Samuel, the product of this intercession would become the answer to a national problem. He was God's national solution. He cleared the way and God used Samuel to position Israel and transition them into a whole new era. And, uh, and that's not an isolated situation. God will often allow a personal struggle to position us to be a, a, for us to be a bigger answer or the answer to our prayer to answer a much wider uh, operate in a much wider arena than we're aware of. You know, we think we're just praying for our own personal struggle and God's moving on a wider scale. Your life matters and your battles and your stand and what you're going through really does matter in the kingdom of God. And your decisions and the little things will make a difference on a much wider scale than you ever realized. There are people who are in the balances based on your decisions. We need to understand that. It's a sobering, sobering thing. 
Then last week we were looking at Moses and how Moses, you know, God had, God had allowed his people to be taken into slavery and they were, they were crying out to the Lord. And, and so then Pharaoh makes, you know, releases an edict that all the, the sons of Israel would be killed. And so Moses' mama discerned that he was a beautiful child, it says, like what mama doesn't believe their child's beautiful. And so she hides him for three months, and it got to the point she couldn't hide him anymore, so she, she wove a basket, and she put him in the river Nile, and had his, had his big sister follow him, and, and God used that crisis, uh, the, the, the very thing that was endangering his life, positioned him in the palace. And so he would be raised in royalty, and given the best education that man could know at that time, that hour of human history. And it's interesting how uh, is Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, it doesn't say this in scripture, but Josephus tells us that Moses was trained as a, as a general, that he was very successful in many of his ventures. And we don't know how much of that is just uh, Josephus wanting to give a good spin on his countrymen's history or not. But suffice it to say that Moses really was schooled and he was trained in a lot of things. And that he was positioned for greatness. He was being trained to lead. And then God sent him on the backside of the desert for another 40 years. And then he has an encounter with God. And now he is going to be God's answer on the national scale. But what positioned him to be the answer was this crisis that endangered his very existence. And often the thing that is the greatest threat to you will be the catalyst to position you to be who you were really called to be. And so often we're struggling, we're asking for God to deliver us, and we're wondering why God even allowed it, but you don't realize that the very giant you are facing will be the catalyst to bring you onto a platform and position you to be what God really called you to be. David would have never been positioned without a Goliath. It took an enemy to launch him into his destiny. It took a struggle It took a crisis in all of these scenarios to position these people. And your crisis is really the school that's going to position you to be what God called you to be. And so that's what we've been talking about. And and, uh, I'm trying to get, trying to find a segue into what we're going to talk about today. Because uh, what what the Lord's just been speaking to me about is Moses and, and how Moses was this this man prepared by God. And, and last week we were talking about how in Exodus chapter 3, at, at the age of 80, he had 40 years in Egypt being trained and schooled and pampered and, and living in the lap of luxury. And then because of a decision he made, he was going to single-handedly deliver an Israelite by killing an Egyptian. And it was, came to the knowledge of, of Pharaoh. And so he had to hightail it out of there. So now he's another 40 years and in the wilderness. So his first 40 was in the palace. His second 40 was in the wilderness, uh, herding sheep. And in the first 40, he was learning how to lead by the world's standards. In the second 40, he was learning to lead sheep. And both would come into play and converge in the final 40 where he's going to lead the children of Israel, a new nation that were the flock of God. And we talked about how what transition that. The, the first transition was because of a a mistake, arrogantly he, he murdered an Egyptian and he, he thought he was going to do this thing on his own. Now by the time we get to the second transition of his life, at 80, 
God calls him and Moses said, God, I can't even talk. I'm not the guy. Find someone else. He was ready to do it single-handedly after the first 40, after the second 40. He's saying, Lord, I'm not, I'm not the guy. And a lot of people will preach from that passage and say, well, see, Moses had a stuttering problem and God can use stutters. And that's true, God can use stutters. But we don't get that from that passage because Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin just before he was stoned to death. And he said, Moses was a man eloquent in speech. Moses was not a man who struggled with his tongue. He wasn't a man that struggled with eloquence. He was a man very gifted in eloquence. It was that Moses' estimation of himself had been reduced. And God said, okay, now I'm ready to use you. And the transition was that Moses was out with the sheep, and all of a sudden he saw off in the distance this bush burning off in the distance. It was, it was a flame. And it says that Mo, it caught Moses' eye, and he said in his heart, I must see why this bush burns and is not consumed. He understood this is not natural. This is not how it usually happens. That a bush is, is, isn't consumed, but it, it continues to burn. And we don't know how long that bush was burning. We don't know how many other people saw it. But we know when it caught Moses' eye, there was something in his heart that said, I've got to see what this is. There was a hunger to know. There was a, a, a curiosity, at least, uh, and there was this, this idea that something about this is not natural. And it wasn't until, the, the text says, that wasn't until Moses turned that God spoke to him and said his name, Moses, Moses. And man, that, that, that passage brings the fear of God on my life because I realized that had Moses not turned to look and step towards it, he could have missed God. That God, it, it implies that God would not have spoken to Moses had Moses not taken a step towards God. God will light a bush, but it's not until you take the effort and step towards the supernatural. Is there a hunger in your heart that said, I've got to see what this is? Or are you content to see that supernatural happening, that moving of the Spirit from a distance? You say, well, you know, pastor, come on, anybody that saw that would have gone. No, I'm telling you, I've seen it too many times. I have seen people that there's something happening, the supernatural off in the distance. They've heard about it. They've seen it. They've heard the podcast. They've heard the video. They've seen the videos. There's things that they've, they've become aware of, but they're too busy with what they're doing to make a step towards what God is doing. And I'm telling you, God will start a fire, but he won't call to you until you make a turn towards the fire. It's a matter of our human hunger. Are you hungry enough that you say, if God's moving, I've got to get in on this thing. And I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons that God called Moses was because of the hunger in his heart. And we see all these years later, Moses has been leading, he's leading the children of Israel. And he unpacks this thing. You know, God calls him and says, I'm gonna, you're going to lead the children of Israel. You go confront the most powerful man on earth and tell him, let your, your, this entire nation of slaves, your entire workforce, let them go because they're going to go worship me out in the desert. And Moses is like, God, you don't understand. Uh, they, don't, they don't know me anymore. You know, I've been gone for a long time. Who is he, how is he going to listen to me? And God said, this would be a sign to you. You'll come back here and worship with the children of Israel. In other words, the sign that this is me is it's going to work. 
The sign that this really is me is someday you'll be standing here with all the children of Israel. And he's thinking, Lord, I need a little bit more in the interim period. Like when I stand in front of Pharaoh. I need to know that not it's going to work out in the future. I need to know I'll live through this experience before the throne. And so that's when the Lord tells him to throw his staff down and so forth. But in that passage, there's this interesting dynamic. The, he, Moses is standing there. He takes a turn and he, he hears the Lord speak his voice. He says, Moses, Moses. All throughout scripture, you have this thing of God calling people by name. That drawing of the spirit. There was something that was awakened in him. He saw it. And when he took a step, God began to call him by name. And as he approached the burning bush, the Lord who had just been calling him to himself, Moses, Moses, now the Lord says, don't come any closer. And there's that that weird tension in the things of God and in our relationship with God. And it really speaks of the two sides of God's character, of God's, God's love, his grace, his mercy. And then that side of him, his justice, his righteousness. And the fear of the Lord that comes upon us when we see that aspect of his character. And there's this this drawing, this invitation, but yet this thing that God's saying, Moses, almost like God saying, Moses, come, come, don't come any closer, come, come. And it's like this thing in Moses' heart that he needs to get closer to God. And the Lord's saying, you can't come any closer because the place you are standing is holy ground. Now take off your shoes, Mo. And he stands there and he has this encounter and God calls him. But there's something that has happened in Moses' heart that has ruined him for life. Because he wants to get closer. And you see this throughout Moses' life. And he really develops an endurance. And I know that's a weird phrase to use, but he develops an endurance to remain in the presence of God. That sounds weird. Why would we need an endurance to remain in God's presence? But... There really is an endurance that needs to be established. I remember hearing stories of Smith Wigglesworth. There was a man before his death told about how he had, he had been in a couple of prayer meetings with Smith Wigglesworth. And he had heard for years about how Smith Wigglesworth would come in and pray with pastors before a meeting. And as he began to pray, the glory would begin to come. And one by one, the pastors would just fall to their knees. And then they would literally crawl out of the room because the glory was so intense. They couldn't handle the presence. If you don't know who Smith Wigglesworth is, look him up. The fruit of those times in his presence was amazing. Interestingly enough, people really didn't like him as a person a whole lot in his life. Towards the end of his life, most people just kind of forgot about him, didn't even visit him. He was kind of a gruff old man. There was one guy that would go visit him. He laid hands on him and said, I release my anointing to you. And then he passed away. He said, but he'd go to his house. And one day he had a paper under his arm. He said, don't bring that rag in my house. You're not allowed in here with those lies. I mean, he's kind of, you know, just kind of a gruff dude. But as they're praying, he said, he said, I, I made a commitment to myself. If I am ever allowed in a prayer meeting with Smith Wigglesworth, if I ever get the privilege of praying with him, I'm not going to be one of those guys that crawls out. I'm going to remain in his presence. I'm going to stand regardless. And so 
lo and behold, I believe the guy was in New Zealand, if I remember the story right, and Smith Wigglesworth came to speak, and he found himself with a bunch of other pastors in the back room before the service, and Smith said, let us pray, and as he lifted his arms, he began to pray, and the presence of God began to get thicker and thicker and thicker, and pretty soon, one by one, the pastors began to drop to their knees, and then, one by one, they began to crawl out, they couldn't walk, and they they just couldn't stand it, and he said, I was the last one, but he said, I couldn't take it, and I had to crawl out too. And I'm thinking, I just wish I could experience that once. The presence of God so strong, I can't stand it. I'm telling you, it's accessible to all of us. And I heard the Lord say this morning in worship, he's looking for a church full of Moseses. He's looking to establish a people that are hungry for his presence. And that will stand between the porch and the altar for him. I want us to look at Exodus 32. Exodus 32. In this passage, Moses has gone up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. You can picture it, Charlton Heston, white hair. He's always flexing when he's walking. You know, in that movie. So overdramatic, but it's a powerful movie. And Moses is up on the presence and he comes down and he realizes the people are, God, God warns him, get down there and deal with the people because they are whacked. And this is what the Lord tells him in verse 9. And this is one of the most disturbing Passages on all of Scripture and probably the most disturbing thing that's ever been heard by any intercessor. And this, my friend, is save Gethsemane and Jesus. This is the zenith of intercession right here. This story. There's no other story in human history like this one. And we get a a peek into this encounter that Moses has with God. Now, Jesus wrestling in Gethsemane rivals this, of course. Another one that comes close is Mo, or Paul's that he records in Romans where he said, I would be willing to go to hell for the Jewish people. Listen to what Moses and God speak to each other. Listen to what the Lord says to Moses. It's so scary. Verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord says to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. And that, that he, Listen to this. You need to listen to this in context and really hear what God is saying because we're in danger just reading over these things and, and you know, it's a story. But understand, Moses was speaking to God with such clarity. It was as if he's speaking face-to-face and the Lord says, leave me alone that my anger may burn. What a statement. The God who commands us to seek Him. The God who loves when we follow through on that command. The God who we know longs to spend time with us. He longs for a people that are hungry for His presence. And when He finds a man that is hungry for His presence, what does He say to him? Leave me alone. What a frightening thing to hear from God. Leave me alone. And then He tells him why. That my anger may burn. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then listen to what he says. 
and then I will make you into a great nation. God had prepared a man all these decades. He's past 80 years old now, and he's now the man that God can use in this situation. And so God draws him in to lead the people of Israel. He's having encounters with the Lord. He's he speaks with the Lord as a man would speak to a friend face to face. And it's, it's not talking about what he saw. It's talking about the clarity with which he communed with the Father. That he says, with other men I speak to them in dreams and visions and, and uh, you know, complex allegories and parables. And, uh, it's, it's like there's a distance. But he said, with Moses I just speak, I just speak directly to him. I share with him what I want to share. And he hears these words. Now leave me alone that my anger may burn. Verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord. I don't want to get too far in this this morning. We've looked at this some years back. But it struck me the first time I read this and saw that phrase for what it really was. I'd been anesthetized by the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston's rendition and really missed what was going on here. There was an entire nation of people in the balance. And God gave Moses marching orders. He said, leave my presence and I'm telling you why. So that my anger may burn against an entire nation of people. And Moses, don't worry because I'll make a great nation out of you. I mean, what a, what a frightening thing yet what a bestowal of honor that God was placing on Moses, saying, Moses, I like you so much, I want to make a whole nation out of you. But Moses was not taking the bait. He wasn't willing to buy into that. And you can literally make an argument that in one sense, Moses did not obey the Lord here. And the only reason he didn't leave when God said, leave me alone, is because Moses had an intimacy with God that he understood the intentions of his heart. And the Lord was venting his frustration. And make no mistake about it, God would have followed through. If Moses would have got up and walked out in despair, Israel, we would not, we would not be speaking about the people of Israel, we would be speaking of the people of Moses. We'd refer to the land of Moses over in Israel. And yeah, it would tie in with, God would have found a way to tie it in with the Abrahamic blessing and all of that. But I'm telling you, this nation was in the balances. But Moses understood there was an intimacy he had with God. So he knew God's true desire. He knew that God's intentions aren't always his desire. There's a difference that not everything that happens is God's will. And there are times where God will release a word of judgment that is not His desire, but it is His intention. And what God is looking for when He releases those words of judgment are people who will side with His heart. And will say, God, I want to side with you because I know you have a higher purpose here. Lord, I know this isn't really what you want. And see, we look at these words of judgment as inevitabilities, but in actuality, they are invitations to partner with Him for His higher purposes, and He's looking for someone who will fight for His cause in intercession. 
And Moses cried out to God and he, he touched the heart of God. Listen to what it says. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord. And he said, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that you brought, brought them out and killed them in the mountain and wiped them off the face of the earth? See, he begins to appeal to the character and the reputation of God. He's saying, God, how is this going to look to the peoples of the earth? What is this going to look like? And look at verse 14. He's, he's just two verses, three verses into his prayer. And verse 14 says, And the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain of the two tablets of the covenant in his hand. We won't read through that in verse chapter 33. In chapter 32, he shatters the, the, the tablets that he's made. He was up on the mountain. God was angry and he was standing as an intercessor between God and the people. And then he went down and he got angry and shattered the, the tablets. And then he came back up into God's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. Again, he hears the words, but it's no longer Moses, leave the place of intercession. He's saying, leave the place of this temporary uh, transition place of the Exodus. And uh, you and the people you brought out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abram. Isaac and Jacob, and that I will give to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says this, again, a frightening phrase. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. God's giving us an insight into how he operates. There is such a thing as proximity to His presence. There are outer court people. There are inner court believers. And there are holy of holy saints. There are people who are content to live in the outer court. There are people who are content to live with the blessing but not the intimacy. But Moses was not one of those people. Let's turn down to verse 12 here. I say turn down. I'm on an iPad. Turn your page over, whatever you have there. Verse 12. Listen to what it says. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In essence, he was saying to God, God, you, you told me you know me by name. Lord, when you called me, you called me by name. He said, but you haven't told me the name of the one you're going to send with me. Because the Lord told him, he said, I'm not going to send my presence with you. I'm not going to go with you. But I'll send an angel, and this angel will pave the way. This angel will bring you into your inheritance. We were talking in the school yesterday about how one of the, one of the primary, or probably the primary function of angelic ministry. Angels are messengers, but their primary function is to enable us to enter into our inheritance. There are angels assigned to your family line. And you can cooperate with them and make their job easier. Or you can be a knucklehead and be like Jacob. And sometimes even our angel have to beat up on us. You know, Jacob had to fight his own angel. 
But your angel is assigned to get you where you need to go. Hebrews 1 says that angels are, are ministering spirits given to the heirs of salvation. We see it here. This angel was assigned to bring them into their family inheritance given to Abraham way back hundreds of years earlier. And that angel was still assigned to this family line, this family that had now become a nation. And I'm telling you, there's angels assigned to your family. And they are there to bring you into your inheritance. Here's the scary thing. You can receive an inheritance and miss the presence. You can receive your inheritance spiritually. You can live off the momentum of your forefathers. You can live off an inheritance of what they have accomplished. But fail to walk in the presence as an individual. You know, there are a lot of believers who live in blessing because of the price someone has paid before them. Somebody else has paved the way for them to live in blessing. And it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they're not hungry people. They're living in the prosperity. They're living in the blessing. They're living, their family has been brought in order. I was thinking yesterday about Linda Schreer's service and just her life and how she, she had shared at the Valentine's banquet a little bit and was reiterated again with the family, the, the family that she came from. And how a couple of generations earlier, it was such uh, just a, a, a dysfunctional mess. I don't know the details, but her own mother at 16 years old went out and found her siblings in, in orphanages around the country so she could gather the family back together. She gave birth to Linda and raised her sheltered from that lifestyle. And they adopted a religion. She said, we're going to be Catholic because we need some religion to raise our kids in. And God marked Linda at a 15-year-old girl to be an intercessor. And she never recovered from that. And it just struck me how God can turn a family around so quickly. And the legacy that can come, the restored generations from just a, a few decisions in one generation that gain steam in the next generation. I look at my own family the same way. And how God can redeem. I'm telling you, there are angels assigned to your legacy. There is a purpose for your family line. But be careful that you don't live off the successes of the last generation and what they accomplished and be satisfied to live without the presence. There are entire church movements who are satisfied with momentum and success void of the presence. And it's a temptation for every one of us. Moses sought the Lord in hard times. Some people bail in the hardship. But there are people who will pass the test in hardship and will bail in the blessing. Because hardship can become a distraction that causes offense. And we get offended with God. But blessings can become an offense where we, or not an offense, a distraction where we feel like we no longer need it. We get so caught up in managing the blessings, managing success. You know, God loves us enough that if we won't serve Him outside of trials, He'll provide them abundantly. He's a good father. 
If it takes hardship to keep you close, then He loves you enough to provide it. It's what that psalm means. And it says, Do not be like the horse or the mule who have to be turned by bit and bridle. I would guide you with mine eye. With a, a bit and a bridle hurts a horse. I mean, you put a piece of metal in it, you put a strap of leather on both ends, you yank it and it causes great pain and he learns very quickly. If you want to go right and you cause great pain in his, the right side of his mouth, he'll turn and it comes to the place where you just got to pull a little bit for a broken horse and some stubborn ones keep fighting it like some of us as believers. And the rider has to apply the measure of pain required to turn the beast of burden. (laughs) And the Lord will treat us like a beast of burden because He loves you enough that He wants to get you where you need to go. But what He really wants to do is just guide you with a look. That face-to-face, just look at you and you'll, you'll respond, Lord, what are you wanting from me? I want to be guided with your eye. Look at what it says here of Moses. He said, you are pleased with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. He throws that in. And look at verse 17, or 14, he says, God says, my presence will go with you. 15, Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. Lord, we are not, we are going to, our one non-negotiable, the one thing, we are pounding a stake in the ground and burned into the head of that stake is the word presence. We will not move up from your presence. And if your presence doesn't go, we won't go. And then the Lord says in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. And then he gives him his reason why. Because, number one, I am pleased with you, and number two, I have known you by name. It's an intriguing thing the Lord tells Moses. He said, I'll go with you because I'm pleased with you, and I have known you by name. That knowing by name, there's this thing of intimacy. We think, well, Lord, don't you know us all by name? I mean, don't you, aren't you intimately acquainted? We've heard preachers talk about, you know, how he knows us and he's intimately acquainted. I mean, Scripture itself says he's counted the numbers of hair on our head. And, you know, they, they get fewer over the years. But, I mean, he knows everyone. And he knows when number 742 falls out. And There's something that he's speaking of that is more than just familiarity with the name. Remember when Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said, uh, on that day, many will say, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not prophesy? He has this list of things. Did we not do this in your name? And the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And workers of iniquity, it literally means someone who stubbornly pursues their own will. They're doing their own thing. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He's talking about an intimacy. We talk about knowing God, but there's a a flip side of this thing of Him knowing us. Have we drawn close to Him so that He knows us? Because that was a criteria, that was a prerequisite for Moses to be the leader that he was called to be. And I'm telling you, the Lord told me this morning, He's looking for a church full of Moseses. 
He's looking for a people that will say, God, we want to draw close to you. We want you to know us. We want you to know us by name. Lord, we want to be intimately acquainted with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. Every facet of my being. I want to walk in intimacy with you. It says, he says, because I know you by name. But he said, also, I'm pleased with you. See, it wasn't just this intimacy, but there was a holiness that was involved. There was this sensitivity in Moses' heart that, Lord, I just want to please you. I don't, want, I don't want to grieve you on any count. I want to be sensitive to you. I want to make sure that you're not offended by the things I say, the things I do, the thoughts I have. I want to be sensitive to you. And those two criteria were the catalyst for God to answer His heart cry and to send His presence with the entire nation. And they moved into the promised land. That's what made Him a successful intercessor. Someone who could stand in the gap for a nation. That God had decided He was going to wipe out an entire nation. But one man could change God's mind. Why? Because He pleased Him and He knew Him by name. There was intimacy and there was holiness. There was this hunger and there was this holiness. Hunger without holiness is a dangerous thing. That's why you see again and again throughout Scripture, we see it. This, this passage right here is one of the primary passages because God tells the children of Israel, He said, I'm not going with you because if I did, He said, in no time of all, I would kill some of you. That's what He says. I would have to kill some of you because the presence without the fear of the Lord is a dangerous thing. And so what God does is He withdraws His presence. He, takes, he puts us at, a, at a, an outer proximity to His presence. Because if we're not living in holiness, if we're not living with our heart right, if we're discounting things in our, our life that, that are displeasing to the Lord, the Lord has to withdraw in a sense. I, I remember when I was 16 years old, my father, my earthly father, placed me at a farther proximity to his presence. He kicked me out of the house. He decked me and kicked me out of the house. Because what had happened is, my dad tried to counsel me. He tried to guide me with his eye. I wouldn't put up with it. So he tried a bit and bridle. And I was, I was unmanageable. So it came to the point where either he would tolerate my rebellion, or he would kill me. Or, the other alternative, you move out of the house and you're not going to live in my presence. I, I thank God he chose that one. Because the other two would not have been good. I, I would have never repented. You know, there's a lot of parents who tolerate rebellion thinking they're being a good parent. I used to tell parents all the time, Teen Challenge, if the prodigal son's father would have given him the MasterCard, he would have never come home. You've got to let them suffer the consequences of their own rebellion. And so there had to be an, a, 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 a space put between me and my dad and, and that's what caused me to come back to the Lord, all the consequences of that, because I thought I could handle my own life, and I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't even pay my own bills, I couldn't, I couldn't rent anything, I mean, I was a mess. And so it caused, caused me to repent. But it's this principle that when, here's the principle, proximity to His presence 
demands a greater sensitivity to his heart. And if we don't have that sensitivity to his heart, then God has to withdraw and measure. I'm not talking about salvation here. That's a whole other conversation. But what I am talking about is being a person that can carry his presence. And there are people who carry the presence of the Lord to various degrees. There are people who walk closer to Him than others. And it has everything to do with their hunger and their holiness. Their intimacy and their sensitivity to what God wants. And it's not, it's not a random thing where God says, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." Pun intended, Mo, Moses, you know. It's, it's not that God says, I'm going to pick a Moses and not an Aaron. It's that He looks for the posture of the heart. God is no respecter of persons, but make no mistake about it. He is a respecter of heart attitude, heart posture. And He picks based upon our heart posture. And God is looking for those He can bring in closer to Him. He's looking for those He can entrust with His heart and say, listen, these are the things I'm about to do. He's looking to make prophets of God out of His friends. But you first have to qualify to be a friend. The confidants of God, where God confided in Moses. And Moses said, God, I I know you better than this. Lord, I know you're about to do this, but I know you're looking for someone who will stand in the gap. Because Moses understood when God said, leave me alone that my anger may burn, God was revealing his heart and saying, The only way my heart can burn in anger is if I'm left alone. But if I have an intercessor that inserts himself in my face and contends with me, then I'm going to have to relent. And that's what I'm looking for. And Moses understood the heart of God. He loved the people of God and he loved God himself and he stood as that intercessor. And God's looking for those who will stand in the gap. But we've got to have favor with God. I'm telling you, God is looking to draw us closer. The other passage that we see this, turn very quickly to Malachi chapter 3. Last week, I don't know what you felt in here, those of you that were here, but frankly, I was stunned at what I felt at the end of the service. It took me by surprise. And as I was trying to navigate, just trying to get a bead on what the Lord was saying, I, I said, let's just go ahead and dismiss. I want to be sensitive. Everybody, you know, if you need to go home. And as soon as I said it, it was like the spirit of prophecy fell on me. And it was directly out of this passage. I wasn't preaching out of this passage. Interestingly enough, following this passage was the first part of my message where I talked about giving and he follows it with giving and it just struck me that it was one message and I didn't even know it. But look at verse 1, Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then the very next words, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
He will sit as a refiner's fire, a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will quickly testify against the sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers with their wages, who oppress the widows and the fathers, fatherless and uh, And deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. Now listen to what he says here. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Speaking of John the Baptist, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. He's speaking of Jesus. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. He said, I'm going to send the messenger and the one that you are seeking, the one whom you desire. He's talking to people who have been seeking the Lord, who have been longing for the Lord to invade their circumstance. They're people that have set their heart in pursuit of God. But after he says, I'm going to answer your prayer, he then says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he arrives? Because he's going to come as a refiner's fire or as a launderer's soap. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to refine them and purify them. What he's saying is, you're asking for something, but you don't realize what you're asking for. Because what you're wanting is presence, but you're not realizing there's a purity that's going to be demanded when you ask for the presence. Because this is a package deal, and one without the other is a dangerous thing. Purity without presence becomes legalism. Presence without purity becomes dangerous. We see it in in an hour of visitation. Disobedience becomes a much more serious matter. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira. That in an hour of visitation, the greater the manifestation of God's presence, the clearer the presentation of truth, the more drastic the measures the, more, the higher the consequences. And so what God will do again and again, not only in Scripture, but all throughout history, the front end of a move of God, the borders of His arrival, when the storm of His presence begins to settle in, the borders of that presence comes in the form of the fear of the Lord and conviction. And God begins to deal with the hearts of His people. Because if we don't respond to the borders, the edges of the storm, when the storm of His presence that we've been so longing for arrives, it's a dangerous thing. And so God comes and first deals with His people. And last week as we were closing, as I, I, I had no, no intention. I mean, I was ready to land it and say, have a good day. And as I'm getting ready to pray, suddenly, the Spirit of God came on me, and this is what I heard in my spirit. And I don't know what came out of my mouth, because I haven't listened to the podcast. As a matter of fact, we didn't even podcast it. I don't even know what, uh, what came out, but this is what I heard. I'm coming, and I'm coming quickly. It's co- he's coming soon, but when He comes, when He comes, God is coming, 
And he's going to come with great conviction. And there is going to come the heat of his presence. And what God is going to send is going to cause people that the conviction is going to be intense and people will stand publicly and begin to confess their sin in public. And what I felt the Lord was saying is, I'm coming in Matthew 18. I'm coming now personally. And I'm giving you a chance. I'm going to deal with you one-on-one. And if you respond to me one-on-one, then we'll deal with it at that level. But if you are going to resist that, I love you enough, I will bring you before the church and conviction will fall and you will find yourself confessing sin publicly. And I'm going to tell you something. If you stand and confess sin publicly... There's nobody that's going to judge you. Man, I'm going to get on my face. But I would rather confess in private between me and Jesus. What we have been crying out for, the, the edges of the storm is beginning to rise, arrive. The trees are beginning to bend over a little bit. The wind's starting to blow. And I'm telling you, God wants to deal with our hearts. There are people who are struggling with secret sin. And I'm telling you, there's grace from heaven. But you've got to come clean and you've got to deal with it. And what we justify and what we think, we, we kind of water down and think it's not a big deal. When you're in the presence of the Lord, suddenly you see it for what it is. And we need to ask the Lord, God, open our eyes so that we can see. Because God's wanting to prepare us for visitation. He wants to come and abide. Probably 13, 14 years ago now, we were over in the little building on the other side of town, and we were just a little congregation of hungry people crying out to God. And I don't remember what the service was about. I just remember at the end of the service, it felt like God came in and just the strength of His presence and conviction. And I thought, well, that was that. I thought it was a service. And then all of a sudden, people started to call me. Pastor, I need to talk to you. Make appointments. Pull me aside. I need to share something with you. And people began to share things. Some of them 35 years earlier when they were teenagers. Things they did. They said, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I just feel like the Lord told me I have to get this off my chest. And they're confessing sin from decades ago. Were they forgiven of those things? Absolutely. But the Lord was purifying people's hearts and making them confront the things that the enemy could leverage against them. The things that the enemy could use to blackmail them and cause them to fear and hold back. And and, uh, the, the, the Lord was just pressing those things to the surface. You see, a refiner's fire heats up the the metal until it liquefies it and the impurities which are of lighter weight than that weighty gold that sinks to the bottom, all the impurities rise to the surface. When When the refiner comes, he brings that stuff to the surface precisely so he can scrape it off. He wants to purify us. I just want to encourage you That there's grace in this season. If there's things that you're struggling with, I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not asking you to grab the mic and share it. I'm asking you to get with the Lord and say, God, I want to do business about this issue in my life. Lord, this thing I've been wrestling with. And Lord, if you want me to go to someone and find help and gain accountability, Lord, I'm willing to do that. But I want to do business. We can posture ourselves on the front end 
to make it easier. We can posture ourselves to invite the presence of God and make it easier when it arrives. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.